Welcome to Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women, a podcast dedicated to the women that shaped our history. This podcast is brought to you by Underground Films, Epic the Irish Emigration Museum, HerStory.ie and RTE, ahead of our TV series, Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women and RTE in Spring 2020. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Angela Byrne with additional storytelling from Tall Tales Podcasts. Content for this episode comes from Dr. Angela Byrne. This episode is about the feminist LGBT activist Eva Gore Booth and the moments in her life that shaped her political viewpoints. We're going to look at her experiences of privilege, her sexuality and how her time in Manchester inspired the Irish suffrage movement. It is evident from her actions and her poetry that Ava challenged the status quo and used her inherited authority to give voice to workers, women and the LGBT community. If you like this story, subscribe for more on iTunes and Spotify and check out our TV series, Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women on RTE in Spring 2020. Eva Gore Booth led a rich and active life beyond what might have been expected of her by her family. And this wasn't because of her gender or her aristocratic background, but because of her physical frailty and her susceptibility to illness. A poet, mystic, trade unionist and suffragist, she collected 30,000 signatures for a suffrage petition. She campaigned for the rights of women to work as barmaids and acrobats. She was a member of the Executive Committee of the North of England Society for Women's Suffrage and was a vegetarian and animal rights advocate. She has long been overshadowed by her more famous sister, Constance Markovich, and even in childhood, their governess recalled, Eva was always so delicate, rather in the background. From an early age, Ava was sensitive to the inequality and contrast between her family's privilege and the poverty outside of the family home, Lissadell. During the winter of the Irish famine in 1879, starving tenants would come to the house begging for food and clothing. It was something that Esther Roper, Ava's partner and biographer, would later say impacted Ava for life. She was haunted by the suffering of the world and had a curious feeling of responsibility for its inequalities and injustices. Meeting Esther Roper influenced Eva in many ways. It is possible that her experiences as an LGBT woman inspired her empathy for other marginalised groups. Together, the couple campaigned for workers' rights and gender parity. The pair met by coincidence in 1896 when they were both visiting a mutual friend in Italy while recuperating from chest complaints. Later, Roper romantically described how they met in an olive grove. Wordlessly, their eyes met and a lifelong connection was made. Esther recalled how they spent the days walking and talking on the hillside by the sea. In Esther's words, each was attracted to the work and thoughts of the other and we became friends and companions for life. Esther Roper was a Manchester suffragist and trade unionist, and inspired by her work, Ava returned to Ireland and established the Sligo branch of the Irish Women's Suffrage and Local Government Association to press for votes for women. She called their first meeting in the local hall in Drumcliff, Sligo. 
Her two sisters, Constance and Mabel, came too. The local Vanity Fair correspondent reported on the meeting with contempt. December 31st, 1896. The new woman is still with us and shows herself where least expected, in the faraway regions of County Sligo, among the wives and daughters of the farmers and fishermen, the three pretty daughters of Sir Henry Gorbuth are creating a little excitement, not to say amusement, by their efforts for the emancipation of their sex. Miss Gorbuth and her sisters, supported by a few devoted yokels, have been holding a series of meetings in connection with the women's suffrage, or shall I say, the revolt of the daughters' movement. Their speeches are elegant, unconventional and non-convincing. They are given to striking a line for themselves, in more senses than one, for Miss Gorbuth has already distinguished herself as a lady steeplechaser, and public oratory is their newest toy. The sisters make a pretty picture on the platform, but it is not women of their type who need to assert themselves over man. However, it amuses them, and others, and I doubt if the tyrant has much to fear from their little arrows. In 1897, Ava decided to leave Lissadell in Sligo, her ancestral home, and join Esther in Manchester, where Esther introduced her to the suffrage movement. It would be here in Manchester that Eva honed her skills as a campaigner and leader. In 1900, Eva was appointed co-secretary with Sarah Dickinson to the Manchester and Salford Women's Trade Union Council. And Sarah Dickinson later related to Esther how Eva was remembered by thousands of working women in Manchester for her untiring efforts to improve their industrial conditions for awakening and educating their sense of political freedom and for social intercourse. This was no more evident than in Ava and Esther's collection in 1901 of 30,000 signatures for a suffrage petition presented to at Westminster MPs in March 1901. Ava's sister, Constance, got her first taste of political campaigning when she went to help Ava and Esther in Manchester in the 1908 by-election. At that time, Ava and Roper led a campaign in support of barmaids, whose positions were threatened by new licensing legislation that would have prohibited women from working in bars. Ava founded the Barmaids Political Defence League, the first barmaids union, and successfully campaigned to prevent the proposed legislation passing a House of Commons vote. An article in the Manchester Guardian on the 23rd of April 1908 documents a public meeting in which Ava and Roper campaigned for the rights of the women. A meeting organised by the Barmaids Defence Leagues was held in Stevenson Square yesterday. The speakers occupied the road of the four-in-hand break, which is driven by the Countess Markovic. Ms Roper was the first speaker and she said there was a marked tendency on the part of speakers in support of the licensing bill to avoid an allusion to the effect it would have on the employment of barmaids. She felt that if the men thoroughly understood what this bill meant to the great number of women now employed in public houses, 
that it would mean the abolition of their livelihood, they would vote against the government candidate in this election. By this means only could they hope to get the mischievous clause in the bill eliminated. The Home Secretary had been induced to insert this clause in the bill by a number of rich persons who had attacked the moral characters of barmaids as a class, and she thought there could be no notion more mean than to assail the moral characters of working women who they did not know. Miss Eva Gore Booth said Mr Gladstone had told them that the clause in the bill affecting barmaids was only a minor one, and the government had far greater matters to consider than that. He told them that the bill was designed to bring great benefits to people at large. She asked them to say by their votes at the election that it was not a minor matter to take away the livelihood of 100,000 respectable, hard-working women. Eva and Esther both believed in the need to marry the trade union movement and the women's suffrage movement. Esther wrote that Lancashire was the natural home of a women's movement because the majority of the cotton factory workers there were women and this also meant that the majority of union members were women. Esther credited Eva as being the first to unify the two movements of labour and women's suffrage. As a team, they were joint secretaries of the Women's Textile and Other Workers Representation Committee. As a team, they jointly ran the Women's Labour newspaper. Together, they campaigned for pit-brow workers, florists and barmaids, bringing large numbers of working-class women into the suffrage movement in a radical, unprecedented move. In 1914, Eva threw herself into the cause of pacifism against the backdrop of the First World War and aligned herself with the pacifist seceders of the National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies. And despite her enduring ill health, she travelled all over Britain on behalf of the Women's Peace Crusade and attended the court's martial of conscientious objectors. Yet, as Esther later recalled, no one could have felt more deeply than she the sufferings of the soldiers. The Irish suffragist Hannah Sheehy Skeffington later recalled how, in the aftermath of Easter 1916, Eva travelled to Dublin to be with the Rising's leaders and participants. In Hannah's words, Eva wanted to see them in their desolation and to comfort them all she could. Eva pleaded for leniency for the leaders of the Rising. And as a pacifist, she was also active in the Committee for the Abolition of Capital Punishment. Until recently, Esther and Eva's relationship was heterosexualized by biographers. And one historian went so far as to cover up evidence that they were a lesbian couple. But the historian Sonia Tiernan has since done much to restore to the historical record the loving nature of their relationship 
and the commitment of their partnership in every respect. This is not only a matter of representing their lives accurately, it's a matter of repairing their erasure from British and Irish history, of undoing the fallacy that activists did not have time for an intimate life, of gaining a true understanding of Ava's poetry, and of ending what Sonia Tiernan calls the bigoted system of presumed heterosexuality that erased non-heterosexual people from the history books for so long. Esther's tribute to Ava, published in her lovingly prepared biographical introduction to Ava's collected poems, is unmistakable in its tender memories of a departed partner. Ava Gorboot's sensitive and loving nature made her a perfect friend. No words of mine could ever tell the beauty of her friendship, but I can only say of it truly, love never faileth. Through years of difficult and trying work, through periods of terrible strain and grief, through ever-recurring times of intense pain, this was true. To the hard work which we did together for 30 years, she brought a spirit of adventure and gaiety which nothing daunted. Even simple everyday pleasures, when shared with her, became touched with magic. Alongside her activism, Ava Gore Booth was a celebrated poet, writing mainly on the themes of nature, Christian mysticism and pacifism. She dedicated her poem, The Travellers, to Esther Roper. Was it not strange that by the tideless sea, the jar and hurry of our lives should ease? That under olive boughs we found our peace and all the world's greatest song in Italy. <laughs> Is it not strange though peace herself has wings and long ago has gone her separate ways and through the chumlet of our fretful days from life to death the great song chimes and rings. In that sad day shall then the singing fail shall life go down in silence at the end and in the darkness friend be lost to friend and all our love and dreams of Noah bear. In that sad day shall then the singing fail, shall life go down in silence at the end, and in the darkness friend be lost a friend, and all our love and dreams of no avail. You whose love melody makes glad the gloom of a long labour and a patient strife, is not that music greater than our life, shall not a little song outlast that doom. In addition to their tireless work for women's suffrage and workers' rights, Ava and Esther publicised gay and trans issues. In 1916, together with trans woman Irene Clyde, they founded the periodical magazine Urania, publishing articles on lesbianism and transvestitism and advocating for a genderless society. Ava Gore Booth died in January 1926, in her 56th year, in the home that she and Esther Roper shared. In a final testament to their partnership, they are buried in the same grave. In 2002, Sonia Tiran produced the first biography dedicated entirely to Ava Gore Booth. Ava Gore Booth, an image of such politics. On the 14th of October 2016, President Michael D. Higgins delivered a keynote address on the life and legacy of Ava Gore Booth at Congress Hall, London, where he remarked, all of us can draw great inspiration from Ava Gore Booth. It is not just the occasion to redress the oblivion of history that I welcome. More importantly, perhaps it seems to me, 
that all of us can draw inspiration from Eva Gorbut's integrated emancipatory instinct, from her unswerving commitment to the rights of the powerless and the disenfranchised. And we can too recoup much needed courage and confidence in the knowledge that Eva Gorbut fought many battles against the dominant and destructive discourse of the established powers of the day. Eva's actions in life both directly and indirectly influenced contemporary Ireland. Her devotion to suffrage paved the way for her sister to become the first woman elected to the Westminster Parliament and later the Minister for Labour in the first doll. Her fearlessness in expressing her sexuality was revolutionary and her compassion and pacifism placed humanity at the heart of her politics. She was defiant, she was brave, she was powerful. This show was brought to you by Underground Films, Epic The Irish Emigration Museum, HerStory.ie and RTE. Mixed and produced by Cassia Tall Tales Podcasts and presented by Dr. Angela Byrne. If you like this story, subscribe for more on iTunes and Spotify and check out our TV series, Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women on RTE in Spring 2020. Her Story's score composed by Scott Marr and Oshin Murray.